Welcome to Checking Out the Competition Part 2. I am Steph Driver of Broad Street Hockey and the Editorial Manager for SB Nation NHL. I am joined by Laura Saba. I said that wrong already. Saba from <laughs> the host of Locked On Canadians and Scott Matla, who is the co-host of Locked On Canadians and the AHL expert for SB Nation's own Habs Eyes on the Prize. How are you both? I'm doing about as well as I could on a Monday where I got up at 6 a.m. to build Halloween candy and then getting to the store to realize there was no Halloween candy and I almost cried this morning. But outside of that, I'm fantastic. I'm living the playoff dream in that I still can't believe the Canadians are in the playoffs. It's exhausting, but I'm enjoying the ride no matter what happens. Excellent. Well, that makes one of us. So let's, <laughs> let's kind of dig in here. So the series, as of right now, the Flyers are up two to one in the series on the Canadians. How do you guys think that this series is going so far? From my perspective, I think that the Canadians really should be leading the series. And I am not saying this out of bias. I am truly giving a lot of credit to Carter Hart. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in the first game of the series, the Canadians really, like the first actual period, they were terrible and they ended up paying for it throughout the game. And that was something that was really upsetting to me because what we saw in the second and third period of that game is not something that we've been used to as Canadians fans. And the Canadians were really able to get it together, play a tighter game, play an offensive game, play what they're good at. And then that second game obviously was a clear, uh, I, it, was, it was a good game by the Canadians. I do agree that the Flyers didn't play very well. Uh, and like, I, I want to give credit to the Flyers where it is due. Like that's not the game that I'm used to seeing that, them play. But the same thing happened again last night. Like the Canadians made mistakes and then they were able, like I, I would say that they didn't play as good as they played in the previous two games. And I think that the Flyers were way better in that third game, but I still think that it should be, the series should be 2-1 Canadians. And I understand how biased that sounds, <laughs> but it's also in the stats. It's also, it's also in like, just if you're watching the game, it's so clear to me that the Canadians are playing above and beyond expectations. And it's really sad that they're not able to be rewarded for it. For me, I think this series is showing that it's a lot closer than a lot of people expected in that I myself picked the Flyers to win this series. I thought with their depth and everything, they would win out. But what we've seen through three games so far is that the Flyers have gotten goals from the unexpected places outside of, you know, Jacob Borachek last night. But at the same time, Claude Giroux isn't, hasn't, you know, made much noise. Sean Couturier has been quiet and Travis Konechny has been quiet. And the Canadians' young players are taking over the game. Everyone focused so much on Thomas Tatar, Philip Deneau, and Brendan Gallagher that not a lot of people expected the performances from Jesperi Kotkaniemi and Nick Suzuki and they're the ones driving the play for the Canadians. It's been a series of unexpected performances, except between the pipes, where we're getting a, a. If you love watching goalies play, Carter Hart versus Carey Price has been so much fun through three games so far. It really does seem like it's a battle of dueling goalies. Um, 
for me, the series has just been painful because I know that the Flyers are, are better than this and they just can't get it together, which to which I definitely credit the Canadians. Like they have them completely thrown off their game. Yeah. And, oh, sorry, sorry. no, I was going to say, and I wonder how much part of that was in game two, we saw the Canadians, they got on the board first and then they just kept that pressure up over and over again. And then we saw in game three and in game one, if they don't get on the board first, they've got to try and break down Elaine Vigneault's system. So it all feels like whatever team gets on the board first is directing the entire flow of the game. And usually one goal games would be, you know, nerve wracking at the best of times in the playoffs, even more so now when it's clearly obvious, whatever team scores first is captaining the ship that night. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it is going to come down to the goalies. Were you expecting, Laura, were you expecting this low-scoring series? I'll be honest, given who the goaltenders were, yes. But I would have expected uh, a little bit more of a run-and-gun type offensive uh, game, just based on the fact that these teams play each other in a really entertaining way. And they're... I'm not going to say they're evenly matched. I think the Flyers are so good. I, I expected them to win the series, but not only that, I was quietly thinking we're going to watch them go all the way. And it's going to be really, really funny if it's like, if it's the team that I'm a fan of that gets in the way of that. <laughs> but I think that, the, the, you know, the games are so entertaining. The players are so fast and exciting. Um, and the Canadians, even though they're sort of in, in this like transition phase between the veterans and the new guys, and we're expecting a lot of young, exciting, fast, skilled players to make the team in the next few years, like it's been fun to see Jesperi Kotkaniemi, Nick Suzuki, like really have that breakout playoffs that we, we didn't even think we were going to see a playoff. So in that situation, like I thought that we would see a lot more shots on goal, a lot more... Um, like just a lot more excitement, a lot more heart attacks on both sides. And I think that the, the goaltenders are so athletic and phenomenal and so good at moving and getting into position like both of them. And I, and I know that Carter Hart has modeled his game on Carey Price. Is like I, I know that he idolized Carey Price. So it's not surprising to me. But what is surprising to me in general is that like is, is, is sort of like the defensive kind of I don't even know. Like, I feel like the, the game yesterday was sort of a, a trap game. Um, and it, it wasn't entertaining. I was expecting a lot more entertainment and excitement from these teams. Yeah. Now, you both mentioned Suzuki and Kotkani. Kotkani I'm not going to be able to say that. I had it practiced. <laughs> yes. I it just needed to go slower. Um, Scott, you're the prospects expert. Is what we're seeing from them expected and it just surprised the Flyers or have they just stepped up in a way that that was a surprise, a good one? Kotkaniemi, I think, is a humongous surprise because the discourse around the Canadians fan base this season, one, was unbearable and two, stupid. (laughs) Uh, So he struggled his sophomore year. It's understandable. It happens to players all the time. And he was sent down to the AHL for a dozen games. And then he got a spleen injury, which let's just, yeah, let's just make 2020 weird as hell. And he gets a spleen injury and his season is done and over with. He went back to Finland to recuperate and they were like, he's done. He's not coming back. 
And then when he was in Finland, he's just like, what if I just eat protein for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and <laughs> packed on all this muscle, grew a really bad neck beard, and came out and played grown-ass man hockey now, and he's an entirely different player. He's more confident. He's strong on his skates. He's using his shot more effectively, and he's been working on his skating. A lot of Habs fans didn't expect this from him. They were like, okay, if he can play like he did in his rookie season, you know, it's another depth piece, but he's gone beyond that now. And a lot of people have sat up and take notice that Jesperi Kotkaniemi looks like a guy who should have gone third overall in his draft year, and he looks amazing, surprising even his biggest fans. And then Nick Suzuki this year was outstanding in the regular season, so much so that the trade getting Tatar and Suzuki for Max Pacioretty looks amazing in hindsight, more amazing than it already did. And I believe it was Mark Dumont, who works for the Canadians now, pointed out, even if they lose this series, your one and two centers right now are two 20-year-old kids, and they're playing fantastically against one of the NHL's best teams. It's an exciting time, and both of them playing as well as they have isn't so much unexpected as it is just a joy for Canadians fans who have been waiting for it for so long. Yeah, totally. Who do you think in your in your opinion, which is the same thing that I just said, has been underperforming for the Canadians? Uh, Brendan Gallagher, most likely. And it's not for a lack of trying. It's just the poor guy cannot find a goal of his life dependent on it right now. And they need him to kind of get on the board a little bit. He has the most shots in the playoffs so far and zero goals to show for it, which is not his fault, but it's a tough pill to swallow when you lose a game one nothing and 2-1 and you have a guy who's a 30-goal winger who can't put the puck in the net right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what has surprised you about the Flyers? That they haven't been playing as well as people expected them to. I'm trying to say this very diplomatically because I love the Flyers. You can, but... say, you can say that they look like dog shit because they have. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, like, the thing is, like, I, I don't want to discount what the Canadians have been able to do really effectively because what I think that they've done so far against the Penguins and the Flyers, and that's the thing that, we, you know, I'll be repeating myself, but if you're the less skilled, less talented less stacked team you have to be the smarter team you have to play better because your choices are either to be to play really physical and always be catching up or you've got to outsmart the other team and take advantage of their weaknesses and their mistakes and I feel like the Flyers are making a lot of bad decisions that the Canadians are able to capitalize on Mm -hmm. and that's something that I did not expect from the Flyers team that I've been paying attention to this season like they really made everybody sit up and pay attention especially towards the end of the regular season and even in the round robin I wasn't watching all of those games I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie to you like I I feel like I caught maybe a period of the three games but based on all of the reviews and everything that you were hearing like this team seemed like they were continuing on what they'd started back in 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 February March and I was just so surprised that they're out there and I'm like you're you're just doing like you're making bad choices out there Mm -hmm. I think for me it's the Flyers big guns being as quiet as they have been like I know how good Ivan Provorov can be I know how good Claude Giroux can be 
and they've been they've been quiet so far in the series, which makes me nervous that they're either going to go off or that the Canadians are playing so well that they're kind of shutting down those weapons and the, I'm getting a lot of confidence in a team possibly to have it crushed anyways. And I think that's the biggest thing is how quiet the Flyers' big guns have been so far, even with the series being the way that it is. No one's really broken out on either side. It's kind of been even across the board. There isn't one person, you know, pulling a McDavid and trying to will his team to victory so far. Yeah, that's that's been my biggest surprise too. Um, other than, you know, the Canadians' young guns, which have been incredible. And I was not expecting to see that to be really honest um from my from my perspective the canadians are a little bit old and not very offensively creative and that's just been completely wrong and i will take that i'll i'll, I'll own it like it was wrong i was wrong it's not in- <laughs> i i don't even know if it's that they're not offensively creative it's just that the team that everyone has in their mind is the team that lost to detroit four times this year and somehow won a qualifying round despite all being like pittsburgh should have kicked the shit out of you but here you are oh you've won a game this is all very unexpected and none of us like this right now <laughs> <laughs> the Canadians are death by a thousand paper cuts more than, you know, end to end rushes and everything. And it nothing has been super pretty. It's all been gritty, hard work. But every now and then they pull out something that it's like, oh, wow, that was really nice. Where the hell was that back in, you know, December when you lost eight games in a row and everything else? The team is a bunch of who the hell are these guys and what did they do with the team we saw all year? And it feels like they were just like, yeah, okay, so we're going to play like shit. The season's going to get canceled. We're going to somehow make a qualifying round, and then, bam, we're going to try really hard. <laughs> it's a master plan by Mark Bergevin. I, it, that's, that is my new headcanon for the Canadians. It's the long con. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So speaking of that qualifying round, I have one friend that's a Canadians fan and he didn't want them to win the qualifying round because he really wanted a shot at Alexi Lafreniere. Oh, that's all of us. That that was all of us. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was absolutely all of us. I mean, even before the first lottery happened, we were kind of, we were estimating that they would draft eighth or ninth. And we were already, you know, um, looking at, at who was available at that spot. And I remember the athletic did an article for the math. Like once the lottery happened, um, they were like, okay, well, here's what happens if they don't get that, you know, that 12 and a half percent shot at, at the number one picker overall. And it was like, and it goes to ninth. And then if they lose in the first round, it goes down to 16th. And in my head, I was laughing. I was like, why are we doing this math? They're either going to get first or ninth. Like, there's no way they're going to get anything else. <laughs> and then they beat the Pittsburgh Penguins, who, like, from what I can, from what I've read, they kind of, like, the veterans kind of bullied everybody to come back because they wanted to do one last run or one last shot at the cup, you know? Yeah. And I just, I couldn't believe it. And so, you know, the 12.5%, it's not a 100% shot at the number one overall pick. Absolutely not. But the idea that there was a chance that they could get a Quebecois bona fide superstar potential kid, 
that was that was so it was so enticing to us that we we dreamed until the very last moment even even when you know in that fourth game when the penguins were playing terribly i was cursing them i was like you're taking away the joy that we have and and it's the penguins they ruin everything i should have known but it just like it's it's it was it was a long shot but it's still like i feel like ninth overall is much better than 16th overall and then what happens if they win this series? They're going to go all the way into the 20s. And nobody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's true. <laughs> this entire playoff is conflicting all of my emotions because my head's like, no, you guys need another good draft pick to help keep with this rebuild. You've got 13 picks. Make them as high as possible, which Chicago winning doesn't help anything at all. Thanks for nothing. And <laughs> it's like, but also I'm also like, hey, the Penguins suck ass and we beat them and my fandom is just like pouring out of me. I'm like, I'm not going to get too excited for the playoffs. Whatever happens, happens. And like a minute into game one of the Pittsburgh series, I'm like, fuck yeah, the Habs are awesome and I love this team. (laughs) And I don't know what to do with my hands now because I realize I want the draft pick, but also I like winning hockey games, something we didn't get a lot of in the last part of the season here. So you've had the one win which this is not me rubbing it in. You've had the one win. How did the win feel? Because the, the two Flyers wins, like I have felt terrible after them because they've just played awful. How did you feel after that one win? Oh, Scott's going to disagree with me, but I felt good after the losses too. Really? Uh, yeah. I did. I, I, I was watching the team. Like after that first game, I posted something on Twitter that was something like all of you jerks thought the Habs sucked and they suck way less than you thought. (laughs) And I've honestly like watching the team play. I was like, I didn't know they were capable of doing this, of capitalizing this much. And like they they got it together in a lot of ways that I was not expecting. And so I, I felt good. And I, I, I still feel obviously it is disappointing because when you feel like the Canadians deserve to win at least one of those two games, it's disappointing that they're not, and it's probably going to cost them a chance at like making the series longer or even winning it. But I, I, I liked what I saw from the team, and I can't, you know, I can't be sad about that. Mm. The win was great in that their offense looked amazing, and they just kept their foot down the whole game because one of their issues during the year was, hey, we've got a two or three goalie, and it's gone. And they just <laughs> did not, they did not let that happen in this in this game here. And then even in the losses, it's like, okay, we're down by a goal. And then they're just like, we're going to defend everything. Everything goes to the outside. You get within carry price. Fuck you. I'm going to hit you. Like the defense is playing so well around them, which was one of my biggest concerns. I'm like, well, I know Jeff Petrie's good. I know Shea Weber is good and has his moments. I'm not sold on everyone else. And then their top four has been phenomenal through two rounds and even in the losses, it's like they've allowed three goals in three games and they're down 2-1 in a series. That's not the team playing poorly. That's just bad shooting luck at one end of the ice or the other. A lot of people went out, they hit five posts in game three. What happens if one of those goes in, the entire game becomes something new again? It, it, it stings that they've lost because we've seen what their offense can do to go from 5 nothing to losing one nothing. You got to kind of figure out what happened there, but Overall in the series, the one win was great, but I still don't feel too bad after the losses either because they're showing me so many things that they didn't do in the regular season 
mm-hmm. that they're doing in the playoffs now. That must feel nice. <laughs> it's so weird because I saw somebody after game one, I saw somebody gloating. I don't know who it is. I don't remember. Definitely somebody who's probably listening to this podcast when it, when it, when it drops. Um, and I was just like, I'm like, what do you have to be so smug about really? Cause if I were a Flyers fan, I'd be shitting my pants right now after this first game. Like I really, I truly would have. And I saw all, all the rest of you guys stress out about, it, and I was like, all right, I'm not crazy. Like I'm not the only one who thought that the Canadians were able to turn the game around in the second and third period. And so, you know, that feels pretty good. I'm not, I'm not gloating. I'm just saying, you know, it feels good to know that your team doesn't suck as bad as you thought it would. Yeah. <laughs> so has the demise of Shea Weber been greatly over-exaggerated? <laughs> okay, Nick Caprios. Uh, let's, let's, let's dial it back here. The man's playing on one leg, apparently, and his career is over. His less, career you know, is over. He, he grew another leg out of his beard. He just kind of pulled one out of there during He has a majestic beard, and I'm not a beard person. It's terrifying. I, my thought, my whole thought process is Shea never actually left the Bell Center. He just kind of stood at center ice for a while, like one of those like <laughs> statues. And then they just kind of turned the lights on. They're like, Shea, how long have you been here? March. And, and, and he's just been there. Because Shea Weber doesn't do social media. So no one knows where Shea Weber goes at all. Like, I just, my headcanon is he just stayed at the Bell Center watching over the ice until they told him it was time to play hockey again. And then his robot hockey brain clicked into place. He's like, okay, smash puck now, yeah? And that's where we're at. <laughs> the, the guardian of the Bell Center. <laughs> so yes, his demise, as the former Flyer, Shea Weber, his demise has been great. Flyers legend, Flyers. Shea Weber. <laughs> Flyers legend, Shea Weber. I'm so glad that we can come together and celebrate him. Some memes <laughs> never die. <laughs> So as we move forward, after watching these three games, these three very uncomfortable games, what's your prediction for the rest of the series? Stress. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Stress I and think, tequila, I guess. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I, here's the thing. Like, I feel like, Elaine Vigneault has got another couple of trap games up his sleeve and he's going to use them if he needs them. But there's also like the reality that we, we, we did allude to it earlier in this episode is that the Flyers stars, their big guns are quiet. They're, they're not doing very well right now. So what happens when they're able to figure out how to get around past, you know, the Canadians defensemen, because I think one of the big things that's helping the defensemen is the, is, is the short samples, like the small sample size, like the, sh- the short amount of games that they have to play. And that's also what's sort of brought Carey Price's game back as well. I think the rest, like the preparedness, and it's not like they're, they're not playing in the playoffs after an 82-game season that took it out of them. So at some point, I feel like the Flyers are going to figure out how to get around the guys that have been shutting them down. And that's when I'm going to start getting really stressed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the minute Claude Giroux starts scoring goals, I'm going to go, well, we had fun. Um, <laughs> that was great. available at 16th overall? And that's, when, that's going to be my new mindset <laughs> after that. So if you had to say right now, how does the series end? Seven or, games. Seven games, yeah. Seven games. I, I think Montreal's got another couple tricks up their sleeve with how they want to change things to beat Elaine Vigneault's system. And 
like if we talk about Claude Giroux getting going and Brendan Gallagher starts scoring goals, it just adds another piece. It all depends on who scores first the next two games. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens because the Canadians playing with the lead and the Flyers playing with the lead are almost two very different things. Montreal keeps pushing and the Flyers just try to negate anything getting out of the zone there. It's going to be interesting to see, but I see this going seven games now. Uh, Regardless of who wins, it's going seven games one way or the other. And I think a lot of people are going to have to respect the Flyers for handling Montreal and being as surprising as they are, or the Canadians for being a lot better than they were given credit for. I also feel like, you know, if, if this is indeed the Flyers year, which I'm not, I'm not sold on. It's not yet. I'm very excited about how the Canadians have been playing, but at the end of the day, when the, when the actual playoffs after the playing round started, I'm like, who do I like? Like, who do I, who do I have confidence in? And it was the Avs, Vegas and, and and the Flyers in the East I truly and maybe I had a little bit more confidence in the Caps than I should have but like I thought and I was telling my Flyers friends I was like this is a good team enjoy it and the thing that I didn't expect was that you know every team of destiny or whatever if they do end up going all the way or to the finals or whatever happens they always have that adversity they always have that team that gives them like a really hard time that's really stressful, really problematic for them that they have to figure out. And I didn't expect it to come in the first round. I didn't expect it to come against Montreal. But I think that that's how the narrative is kind of shaping up because I think that Montreal can easily take this to seven games and has already given the Flyers a scare. I don't, I don't think that you can deny that at this point. Like, Absolutely. you know, yeah. yeah. And so, like, people were like, oh, it would be great if Montreal gave them a scare or could Montreal gave them a scare? And I'm like, well, in game two, they'd already accomplished that. So let's see what else they can do. Yeah. I will not survive if this game goes, if this series goes to seven. I just, (laughs) I won't be able to take it because the the Canadians are just playing the, the Flyers so tight that I just can't, I can't get comfortable. And I've been a pretty comfortable fan for a while now well a while being you know the past six months you you guys right about the dave hackstall era that was <laughs> that was not comfortable <laughs> hockey um, but you know the past six months have been feeling really nice and there's just nothing good about how i'm feeling during this series it's so weird in that like the Habs fans, despite being down 2-1 in the series, seem to be the ones going, hell yeah, my team is good. And Flyers fans who are leading with a team that isn't even firing on all cylinders are going, oh shit, yeah. what? It, it's such a weird contrast. In seven games, I feel like both fan bases aren't going to survive this regardless of who's winning, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's I think rough. I think the thing to remember if you're a Flyers fan is that this is the Canadians playing at the best level that most people expected, minus the Brendan Gallagher factor. And this is the Flyers. I won't say this is the worst that they can play because I don't think that they're that bad, that they've been playing that bad. But this is the Flyers without their top guns actually functioning. And so that's something that you have to remember because if the Canadians can get Brendan Gallagher going, great. But if the Flyers can get any one of their superstars going, then it's a whole other ball game. And I think like that's the thing that you have to remember is that the Canadians, 
don't have that much more up their sleeve unless Carey Price gets the same kind of post luck that Carter Hart did in game three. Yeah. No, that's a great point. That's a great point. Thank you for that. That does give <laughs> good perspective. All right. Final question. Carter Hart, huh? <laughs> <laughs> How about that guy? Oh, uh, we were so excited when we thought he was broken in game two because in game one, he was so good, right? We're like, we hate this guy. He's so good. Where did he come from? And then we're like, yes, the Canadians broke him. It's smooth sailing from now on. And you know what the cool thing is, is that that is another thing that Carter Hart has been able to model after Carey Price is that Carey Price, like at the very beginning of his career, maybe, maybe Carter Hart is a little bit more mature at this level because what would happen is he would play badly and then he would follow it up with like a bunch of bad games. And then like after a while, his confidence would come back and then he would just be like a world beater for like the rest of the season or, you know, whatever. And so that's something that he had to get better at was like, you know, he has one bad game, he turns it around, comes back and is a superstar the other day, the next day. And that's something that Carter Hart has already managed to accomplish like this early in his career. So, you know, he's also learned from Carey Price's mistakes, which is really cool. Yeah. He is truly playing really well. And I really wish it was against another team so I could enjoy it a whole lot more. As a fan of goalies, though, I can't help but love that Carter Hart playing against like someone he grew up idolizing in Carey Price and who he models his game after is getting to play against them. And you've got Carey Price, who's sporting a ridiculous save percentage and goals against, and Carter Hart's playing amazing, too. It's so much fun to watch this actually play out and not have it be like, oh, Carey Price gave up eight goals because the Habs suck. It's like, <laughs> no, Carey Price is still good. Take back all the mean things you said this year kind of level of play. It's It's been a treat to watch as someone who likes, who doesn't fully understand goalies, if anyone actually does it's just been a ton of fun to watch that play out so you're saying that Carey Price's demise has also been greatly exaggerated every single year we go through this <laughs> he's John Wick that after like November he's like yeah uh, I'm still Carey Price you know what's wrong with you and we go through this every single year well in fairness he does have bad starts to seasons and people write him off a little early we were making a, a joke in the Broad Street Hockey Slack earlier today that Canadians fans have to defend that contract to the death because that's it. <laughs> that's all you've got. It's an indefensible contract, but at the same time, we've talked about it, like, you know, amongst, like, there's a, there's a huge portion of the fan base that just hates him on the basis of that contract. And there, then there's a whole bunch of us that were like, at that time, what was Mark Bergevin supposed to do? Like, there was really no other choice. It was before the league had sort of shown that you don't need to pay a goalie that much. You can have a 1A, 1B, and that's more successful. It's, you know, and, and there's still teams that are giving ridiculous contracts to their number one goaltender. Like, that hasn't, like, that hasn't fully uh, shaped out yet. But at the same time, like, we ask ourselves, like, what was Mark Bergevin supposed to do? There was nobody in the pipeline. Carey Price was at the top of his game. Everybody knows he's going to decline after 30, but he was going to walk otherwise. Like there was literally no way that they were going to get away from that without losing their number one goaltender. And they had nothing to show for it in the pipeline. And they still kind of, they like, you know, their backup situation is a major question mark because the younger guys are just not ready yet. 
Yeah, totally. All right, my prediction, because I need it for the sake of my blood pressure, flyers in five. <laughs> You're going on my list. Steph. I'm sorry. Like literally I need it for my health. <laughs> I understand. I completely understand. But before, before, like when everybody was doing their brackets, I messaged, messaged Scott and I'm like, every time I see a flyers and five go up in my timeline, I'm getting more and more spiteful. <laughs> and now I'm putting all of you on a list. I had the, my original prediction was for a sweep. So I've already been wrong. <laughs> I, at this point, I'm like, if they go to six games, I'm still going to be smug because the Flyers and everybody's bracket will be busted. Perfect. <laughs> we might have lost, but we looked a lot better doing it. So suck on that, <laughs> internet. Like... <laughs> All right, Laura, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Again, Laura, say, stop. Why can't I do this? Saba? <laughs> That's it. All right, host of Locked on Canadians, Scott Matla from Habs Eyes on the Prize, the AHL specialist. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you. Well, if you want to follow the Locked on Canadians podcast, we are at LO underscore Canadians. And on Twitter, I am at Scott Matla. And you can find, obviously, all of my stuff at Habs on, Eyes on the Prize uh, as part of the SB Nation NHL hub. And you can find me at The Active Stick. And I highly recommend that you read Scott's pieces on Eyes on the Prize because they are all full of insight. Excellent. Thanks again, guys. I'm not used to people being nice to me on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Same.